for coming. There we go. I am alive. I'm alive. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We're glad that you are here. And, you know, I love the music today. I love that line, Oh, grave, where is your sting? How grave was your defeat? I love that. And I love the, the song in the video, Dry Bones. Come on. See, that's what God does for us. He takes old, dead, spiritually dead, dry bones and breathes life into them. And that's just incredibly and amazing. Well, we finally begin today the Fruit of the Week Club actually talking about one of the fruit of the Spirit. And today's sermon title is, Who Said Loving Me Was Easy? And so here's the deal. So back in Bible school, um, I got one of those crazy ideas. And so I asked several people, and I said, so if you're going to write kind of a crazy country love song, now, that's not hard. As you know, if you listen, I don't listen to country music too often, um, but, you know, they got some crazy love songs. I said, if you're going to write a crazy country love song, how would you title it? Well, one of them was pretty serious. Uh, one person said, your biggest mistake, his biggest mistake was loving me. And that just, that's, that's almost deep, you know, that's almost deep. Um, and then, and then I went to the kitchen. I don't think Connie will mind me using her name, Connie Horton. Now, keep in mind, this is Wednesday of Bible school. Now, if you've never worked in Bible school, then you don't understand. If you have worked in Bible school, you know by Wednesday, well, it's appropriate. And she said this, I'm only half crazy, but give me till Friday. Now, I would change that to make it a love song. I'm only half crazy over you. But give me till Friday. Well, then I asked Laney. I can tell this is going well because you are not laughing. Okay? So, so I asked Laney. Well, first, yeah, I asked Laney. And I asked her permission to use her name. And uh, she said, and Trey was sitting there. And uh, she said, how did I get stuck with you? Well, Trey's answer was this. Let me get back to you with that. <laughs> So I can imagine the woman saying, I love you, and the response was, let me get back to you with that. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world, you know, how does that fit in the sermon, Dwayne? Well, actually, everything, because, you know, I, I try to come up with original titles, and so I came up with this, and after I wrote it, you know, I, I chew on it and think about it, and... It sounded like a country song. <laughs> it just sounded, I said, you know, if I was going to write a crazy country song, love song, it would be this. And, and this, do the taglines on this. <clears throat> Let me play my guitar. Who said loving me was going to be easy? See, doesn't that sound country? Okay, well, we'll still do it at the second service. Maybe they'll appreciate it. Anyway, so the question, you know, if you think about love, if you think about God's love... It really is difficult sometimes to love people. And that's what we want to talk about. It's not easy to love people, but it is the mantra that God gives us for his people. In fact, it's what I said it Wednesday night, I believe. I said, you know, of all the things in the Bible, this is something that should be taught almost every week in some form. There ought to be the cross and there ought to be love. There ought to be the cross and there ought to be love. Those things because they're so hugely impactful. Now, we're going to begin this morning in, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 7, and we're going to kind of look at love defined and love demonstrated and love applied. That's loose, but that's kind of where we're going. Now, notice what he says in 1 John 4, 7. He says, now, you know I love different translations of the Bible, um, but this is one I wish the CSB would stuck with uh, 
The English Standard Version, I think, uses it. Uh, if they don't, the King James certainly does, and New King James does. But, but in 1 John 4, 7, they use dear friends, but a better translation is beloved. Dearly beloved. And why that's so important is, is because it brings home the fact that we have experienced God's love. It's really difficult to love people unless you've experienced love. And I really think, and that's why I so appreciate the songs that David picked out today. You know, it's, it's so easy to forget just how much God has given us his love. How he demonstrated his love. The scripture that he used from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 is in our sermon today. It's in the sermon today. And so, so it's hard for us to understand. But he says, beloved or dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. So we are to love one another because we have experienced and received God's love. We are to love one another because we have received and experienced God's love. And then he goes on and says this. He says, everyone who loves... Let me clarify right there. Not everyone... I mean, you know, almost everybody loves something, okay? But this is the agape, the dying sacrificial, the love of God. So everyone who loves like God, now watch, has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves like God loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, in other words, love is our DNA. Love is our litmus test. Love is our birthmark. Love is our birthright. So of all the things, of all the things that we have in our lives that pertain to God and us, love is front and central. You know, the teaching point says, you know, the greatest indicator of our love, the greatest thing that that shows that we are a, a, a person of faith, the greatest indicator of genuine faith. So if I were to ask you, you know, well, what is your greatest indicator that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? You know, what would be the greatest thing? And often it's, I go to church. I give. I do those things, okay? But the greatest indicator of genuine faith isn't where you sit on Sunday. Nor may I say how often you sit in that seat. Okay? It's not the greatest indicator. Um, your, your greatest indicator of genuine faith is not how much you know the Bible. There, are some great, there could be a great theologian who's lost as a goose. Some of the greatest atheists in the world are biblical scholars. They know the Bible much better than I or you would ever will. So knowledge of the Bible is not your greatest uh, test of your indicator of your genuine faith. Or even the checks that you write. You know, we always say, if you want to know the person's spiritual death, it's your calendar and your checkbook. I'm not sure after studying this sermon, I agree with that. I think the greatest indicator of our genuine faith is how you love. It's how you love. It's how we love. And so, so we, we're facing this today, you know, and we're saying, you know, God is love, and, and our greatest indicator is love, and God, God, you know, love comes from God, and we've experienced that love. If we know that love, then we've been born again. And I really think, you know what I think? I think this is the greatest shortcoming of the church. I think the greatest shortcoming of the church today is our lack of love. The, the church is no more for what it's against than what it's for. And the church is no more for what it hates than what it loves. It scares me. It scares me. It, it makes me wonder. 
So, so our greatest indicator of faith, perhaps next time we choose a deacon, deacons out there sitting out there, you know, instead of asking how often they attend church and that's really important, or do they have a quiet time, that's really important, or do they support church financially, somewhere on that list ought to be how do you love? Because we want leaders who know how to love. Well, there's a story in the Bible that we all know. Um, it's a story about a guy who comes to Jesus and ask an important question. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and 26. Okay? And here's what it says. An expert in the law. Now, notice, I want you to see something right away. Notice he's an expert in the law. Remember that theologian I talked about? You'd be a great theologian. Okay? And not love. Okay? Well, this guy's an expert in the law. But trust me, he is not an expert in love. He's an expert in the law, but not an expert in love. So this expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, keep in mind that automatically tells you that what he's about to say is not genuine. It has nothing to do really with what he's asking. But he asked the man, he asked Jesus, he says, Hey, teacher, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't want to know. He's assuming he's already got it because he knows the law. And to him, the law is the way to heaven. So he figured he's in. He's just trying to trap Jesus. So, so, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? In other words, what's your opinion? You're an expert of the law. What is your opinion on how a person inherits eternal life? And so he quotes in verse number 27. He quotes the scripture and then he says, go ahead and put the slide, please. There we go. He answered, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so, you know, the scripture says, Old Testament scripture says, okay, and we want to love God, but not just love God, we want to love God all in. We want to love God all in. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then, and then he says, the scripture says, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's interesting to me that, that this expert in the law was, who would, would do a doing salvation said, well, here's what we need to do. You know, we need to love God and we need to love people. And by the way, he was totally right. In fact, Jesus is going to say, you're correct. You're correct. In fact, Jesus, over in Mark and in Matthew, quotes the scripture because he was asked, what is the greatest command? And the greatest command is love God all in and love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's incredible that that's the answer. That was the answer. Love God, love people. So he goes on a little bit further and says this. You've answered correctly. Verse number 28 and 29. You've answered correctly. Okay? Um, He told him, do this and you will live. Now here's the deal. See those words, do this? Basically what Jesus is saying, do, do the impossible. Because you cannot love God and you cannot love people as God loves people without being born again. You cannot experience God's love. You cannot give God's love, experience God's love, unless you've been born again. So Jesus is saying, yeah, do that. Do the impossible and you will live. See, the law was not given as a way to heaven. The law was not given as a way for us to earn our salvation. The law was given to point us to our need of salvation. The the law was given to show us our sin and our need of a Savior. So... Jesus says, yeah, do the impossible and you will live. But the guy keeps on going and verse 29 says this. But wanting to, and this is a key word, but wanting to justify himself. Because he knew the impossibility. Wanting to justify himself, he asked, well, who is my neighbor? Now, he, he got the God part. He 
Well, he didn't get the God part. He thought he got the God part. But, but he didn't get the neighbor part. Well, exactly, exactly how far do I have to go with this neighbor deal? Because trust me, there's several people on his list, like tax collectors, like prostitutes, like Samaritans, like the rest of the entire Gentile world. He didn't consider them neighbors. And so he wanted to know, Jesus, exactly how far do I have to go with this neighbor thing? And guess what? Mama T, we do the same thing. Exactly how far do I have to go with this neighbor thing? One thing that amazes me is that we want to put limits on what God calls limitless. You know, we are, we are so grateful for God's love, and we're glad we, it's, for us, it's unlimited, okay? But when it comes to loving people we don't love, we don't think God ought to love them unlimited. We're all for grace. We just don't think grace ought to be extended to some people that we don't like or love or can't agree with. So we want to we put limits then on this neighbor thing. So during Bible school, um, we went down to the Pioneer Village, and Crystal Wilson... Um, was our guide every day. We went there five times. And um, every day. And one day she had this shirt on. And it caught my eye. And it said, love thy neighbor. And it proceeded to list all these neighbors that we might wrestle with loving, perhaps. So I made up my own. I, I kind of modified and twisted hers and came up with my own. Because, again, I know we wrestle with this. We want to, to ask God, yeah, but God, really? Do I have to love that neighbor? And, by the way, notice something. This entire list that you're fixing to look at, okay, is a list then that, that has adjectives in it. Now, if you remember the scripture, you know, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor. There was no adjective. There's a noun. You're, and what we do in our world today, and what he did, was he wanted to put an adjective in front of that. What kind of neighbors do I don't have to love, or what kind of neighbors do I have to love? And so here's a list of what that, that T-shirt said. Um, that day. Go ahead and get the side, please. All right. Uh, there we go. Now, I know this print's a little bit small. I apologize for that, but I want to get it all in one slide. Okay? So it started out, her shirt started out, and this starts out, love thy neighbor. Okay? Love thy homeless neighbor. That's a big debate in Harrisburg, the homeless people. Love thy homeless neighbor. Love thy Christian, Jewish, or Muslim neighbor. Love thy white, black, Asian, or Latino neighbor. Um, love thy atheist or agnostic neighbor. Um, love thy physically, mentally, or emotionally challenged neighbor. Love thy alternative lifestyle neighbor. Thy politically right or left neighbor. Thy elderly neighbor. Oh, your addicted neighbor. Your angry neighbor, thy millennial neighbor, thy blank neighbor. See how challenging it gets. See, when we start putting adjectives in the neighbor thing, it gets challenging. But God's word just simply says, love thy neighbor. 
But we want to put limits, and so we say, well, we'll put a name or we'll put a tag in front of the word neighbor, and that will excuse us from loving that kind of person. So my question is this, what neighbor do you wrestle with loving? What neighbor do you wrestle with loving? I've got mine. It's on that list. In a different world, I would share it with you. But I'm not comfortable yet doing that because I'm so embarrassed by my attitude. But what neighbor on that list, or, or that blank here, this blank right here, what neighbor is it that's not even listed there that you are withdrawing or withholding your love? And keep in mind, Jesus has already said, wait, 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 wait. You know, if you experience God's love, you have to extend God's love. Regardless of the adjective that we want to stick in front of it. So, we suddenly realize that love is hard. Love simply is hard. Um, It just doesn't seem so easy, does it? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's no other command greater than this. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people. You know what Paul said? For you Pauline people? Paul said this in Galatians 5.14. The whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says the whole law is fulfilled. Jesus said, the whole law hinges on this. Love God. Love people. No adjectives. No labels. No names. Just love people. Now, in 1 John 4, 8, we finally get a real definition of love. Okay? And here's what it says. The one who does not love does not know God. Yeah, somebody say, wow, it's scriptures like this that scare me to death. It's scriptures like this that scare me to death. The one who does not love. Now, now all of us have situations where we don't love. This is a habitual lifestyle. If your attitude, your lifestyle, you know, the way you do things, the way you do life is not love. The one who does not love does not know God. And here's the reason why. It's right here. Here's, here's the definition of love because love, God is love. God is is love. And what John is saying is how in the world can we claim to be God's people when we don't display the very nature of who God is? God is love. Our teaching point says this, God is love. Now, this is important. God is love. God doesn't just love. See, I taught you a while back that God is not only good, or not only God only does good, He is good. Well, same thing here. You know, God is love. God doesn't just love. He is love. And then as his children, with his DNA flowing in our veins, that's why we're supposed to love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is probably most famous for weddings. Um, but, but 1 Corinthians 13 becomes this portrait, this masterpiece, masterpiece of the very essence of God. And... I did something today that's a little different. Um, ordinarily, I would, again, pick a more traditional translation of the Bible to, to read for 1 Corinthians 13. 
But I wanted to get it off the page and into the practicalness of your life. So I chose the message. Now keep in mind, I always tell you this, the message is not a translation, it is a paraphrase. Somebody read it and said, well, this is what it means to me. But it puts in very practical words, these words. We're so familiar with them. You know, love is, love is good, love is patient, love is kind. You know, we've heard that over and over and over again. I wanted to jump off that page and into our lives today. What does it really mean? If it's a, if it's a portrait of, of God is love, what does it really mean? Well, here's what it looks like um, in the message. And you can probably follow along. Again, I apologize for the smaller words, um, but I hope you can read them. If not, of course, you have them in the worship app. You know, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. And then it switches to positive. It, it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It pits up, put, puts up with anything. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And so many of those are attributes of love. And this is what God's word calls us to do and to be. Our life, our life, look, our life is to look like this. Because God is love. And if we are Jesus followers, then we carry his DNA. It's not optional. It can't be explained away. We can't paint it through rose-colored glasses. Look at it through rose-colored glasses and say, oh, the bottom line is we're to love God. Love people. No adjectives allowed. Love God. Love people. No adjectives allowed. So, love's grandest demonstration. If I were to ask you, so, so what is the greatest demonstration of love? Well, it wouldn't be a Hallmark card, okay? And it wouldn't be the, the best wedding venue ever, okay? Um, you'll find it nailed to a Roman cross, something like that, on a dusty Judean hillside. I love these scriptures. You know, Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when, when we couldn't do a thing about it, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the broken. Um, Christ died for the worst of the worst. Um, Christ died for us. Remember that long list of love thy neighbors? And some of them cause an angst in your spirit. Christ died for them. Not when they straightened their life out and not when they started living like we thought they should live. He died for them while they were still broken. Just like he died for us while we were still broken. And he says in verse number 7, you know, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. 
I mean, you know, I can just see one of these Jewish that had no association at all with the local priest and go down, you know, you're so righteous, I just want you to know I would die for you. That would never happen. They had no relationship. The priest didn't care for the people. But then Paul says, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. There's that person that, that perhaps saved your child's life. There's a, someone who always tries to do the right thing. There's someone who shares with the poor. There's someone who demonstrates love. He said, for that person, maybe someone would possibly dare to die. And then what David read, but God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were unrepentant, while we had our own adjective attached to us, our own label attached to us, Christ died for us. That is love demonstrated. Now, the whole deal with this love thing is what God's Word says more than one time. It says, since you have experienced this kind of love, then you've got to be willing to share that kind of love. What God would do, we are supposed to do. What Jesus did, we are supposed to live like. And what the Holy Spirit compels us to, then we are to live that way. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we get sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Paul wrote something one time. And I said to myself, did you really mean that? Have you ever read something in the Bible you said, did you really write that? Did you really mean that when you wrote it? I want you to listen to this. It's, it's tucked away in, in Romans chapter 9, verse number 3. It's a love I can't get my arms around. Here's Paul. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Now, do you understand what he is saying? Paul said, I could wish myself cut off from Christ, lose my relationship with Christ for the benefit of of my brothers and sisters of Jews becoming saved. Short of this example of love, that's the second big one I've ever seen. I may love you a lot, but you think I'm giving up Jesus for you? I may be willing to die for you, but give up Jesus for you? But Paul was so infatuated with his love for Jesus and the power of the gospel that he could pen something like this in the book. And then there's that story in Luke chapter 10 that we're all familiar with. You know, we had, we had the guy, you know, the neighbor thing. Remember we started out with that, the neighbor thing. And Jesus tells this story about the guy who gets beat up and, and killed, half dead, left lying there. And a priest comes along and goes, mm. and then here comes a Levi. Mm. And then comes the Samaritan guy. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 33 through 35, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So the Samaritan was hated 
by the Jewish nation. And the guy laying on the dirt was a Jew. So the hated one comes along and sees the one who hates him. And what does he do? He shows compassion for him. I guess I need to ask the question. So on that list of neighbors that we probably didn't want to love, some of them, have they done anything like this to you? No, probably not. And yet this Samaritan who is hated helps the person who hates him. And that, friends, is amazing. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that, that he, you know, he, he, had, he had this compassion for him and, and he, he binds up his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, gives him right to the end, and then pays the bill. And this guy hates him. This guy would wish him dead. This guy, if he could have spoke, would have said, get your filthy hands off of me, you Samaritan. But that didn't stop. The love. you find that amazing? I do. I do. You say, well, Dwayne, that just, that just love seems impossible. It seems impossible. Well, it is except for we, each one, who are Christ followers, have the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we have these nine characteristics. They're not fruit. I mean, they're not gifts. You know, everyone gets a certain gift or maybe multiple gifts from the Holy Spirit. But everyone gets the full fruit basket. All nine gifts. I'm sorry, all nine fruit. And the first one's love. So if, if it was not for that, you know, if, it, if that hadn't happened, it would be an impossible deal. But when we have the Holy Spirit, we have this love. And if we'll set that love free, then we can love like God loves. Because it's not something we have to bear or manufacture. It's something we've got to manifest. We've got to let the Holy Spirit free in our lives to love like God loves. So the ultimate application probably is this. In John 13, 34, and we read this a lot at Dorisville. In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, you know, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. I give you a new command. Love one another. Um, in fact, here's what I want you to love. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I mean, he's hours from the cross. These are his last, there's some of his last words. And he's saying, look, I want you to love one another. The same way that I'm fixing to show how much I love you, I want you to love everybody else the same way. And this is, this is so powerful. And trust me, I'm not the only one in the building who's frustrated with culture. Okay? I, and I told you several times in the last few weeks, Jesus is the answer. Well, here it is. By this. Not our fancy buildings, not our big programs. 
Not a full parking lot. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The way we get the world's attention is by loving one another. We didn't do good during COVID. I'm going to step out on limb here and say, and we didn't do good during the election either. We did not demonstrate to the world but his disciples by our love. See, sometimes the church acts just a little bit too much like the world. And I'm part of it, so I can say it. Sometimes we act just a little bit too much like the world. Someone's going to say it, so I'll say it. But Dwayne, but pastor, but pastor, what about this? If I love them, aren't I approving of their sin? If I, if I have a neighbor who's living in sin and I love them, am I not going to put the stamp of approval on them? No. The teaching point says this. Remember this. Godly love is not a stamp of approval on someone's sin. It is not a stamp of approval on someone's sin. Rather, your love is an act of obedience to the one who showed you So, so we need to lay that aside. I've wrestled with this as a pastor, I've, as a daddy, I've wrestled with this. But no, no. My love for people is not a stamp of approval on someone's habit or sin or whatever it is. It's an act of obedience. Because the man who loved me enough to die for me. Hours before his death, he said, oh, by the way, I have a new command for you. Love one another. Oh, oh, and by the way, the world's going to know that you're my followers if you love one another. Over in another scripture in John chapter, chapter 15, again, just a little bit down the road from 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I've loved you. And then he says it, you know, greater love had no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Wow. How incredibly powerful is that? Well, you've all seen the commercial on TV. Uh, it's for a credit card. And it says, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? I think today we need to ask this. What's in our heart? What's in our heart? Let me, three things real quick. One, if you've never experienced, I know we're a small crowd this morning, but if you've never experienced this love, I'm going to be standing down front and it would be my privilege to share with you today just how much God loves you. I'll take the word of God right here. We'll let them sing on and you and I will sit at the altar and we'll talk about how much God loves you that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die. And if you'll believe in what Jesus did and you want to turn from your sin and follow him, He'll give you a brand new life, a brand new future, and take away your old past. If you're here today, who are you withholding love from? Who are you withholding love from? Is it an ex-husband? Is it a neighbor that did something? 
Who are you withholding love from? Who do you need to start loving today? Who do you need to start loving today? And maybe the third thing is, who do you need to forgive? Because you're saying, Dwayne, you don't understand something. I can never love that person. I can never love that person. Today you need to start forgiving that person. Remember, forgiveness is not for the person, it's for you. Remember, forgiveness is about what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you start forgiving that person. And when you do, when you do, then you'll find the freedom that you're looking for. But keep in mind the whole deal, guys. Look at me. You don't have to generate this love. You just need to set it free. So your prayer today would be, God, I know I don't love like this. But I'm going to believe by faith what your word said. That that love is in me. It's my DNA. It's my birthright, my birthmark. So I'm asking you to help me today start loving like that. You trust and let him do his amazing work. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for allowing me to share. Father, help us. Of the nine fruit, this is the biggest. Help us to remove the labels and the adjectives that we have put on our neighbors and simply love them as you did. While they were still sinners, while we are still sinners, Christ, you died for us. So help us to do away with the labels. If there's someone here today who's never trusted Christ, never experienced that love, may today be that day. And may we begin loving today. It may be hard, as that little country Diddy said, who said loving me was going to be easy. But with you, all things are possible. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.